there's one more thing. A terrible presence is in there with her. So much rage. So much betrayal. I've never sensed anything like it. I don't know what hovers over this house, but it was strong enough to punch a hole into this world. Take your dog away from you. It keeps Caroline very close to it and away from the spectral light. It lies to her. It says things only a child can understand. It has been using her to restrain the others. To her, it simply is another child. everybody and welcome back we're here we made it you made it it was a perilous journey through the moors of you know the english countryside uh through the dream hellscape of elm street you know through so many 80s horror landmarks and here we are. So with you right now is Nathan Rouse, one of your co-hosts on your favorite podcast, The Fear of God. Um, we sort of occupy that strange, dark, rainy, deserted intersection between faith and horror. Typically with me is just fellow co-host, fellow 80s baby, Reed Lackey, though arguably technically I'm a 70s baby because I was born in October of 79, but that's kind of neither here nor there. But Reed did mention, he, he was here for a second, he really was, but he said that his TV was acting funky, um, that he had to go check with it, something staticky. I don't, I don't you know, I mean, it's, I, I didn't really think TVs did that anymore, but who, who knows? Who knows? I, you know, I don't know exactly what TV Reed has, so he... He had to excuse himself to go figure out what's up with his TV. So while he's doing that, guys, I did want to implore you to go to iTunes and leave us a rating or, you know, a review that'll work too. Or, or if you're feeling really frisky, just subscribe to this podcast. Um, there's something about the magic of the internet that, 
you know, you, 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 you put in your thing, you shake your computer and suddenly it, it, it means there's more influence or impact or something. I, I don't know. I'm, I'm almost 40 years old. You guys, how am I supposed to know how this technology stuff works? You know, so, but nonetheless, we would really appreciate that because apparently it has some sort of algorithmic sort of thing that happens and other people find out about us. I, I, I don't know, but if you do that, we would greatly appreciate it. And by we, I mean me, Nathan, and uh, oh, guess what, everybody? He's here. <laughs> Reed! There you are, buddy! Oh. Look at that. That was, you like that? You I like do that? like that. that was, and it's that so was funny. A big, it's a long con right there. I should have guessed that that's how you were going to do it, but I did, it, it didn't dawn on me until you said, guess what, everybody? And I was like, oh, that's perfect. That's perfect. Yeah. That's so great. You're my friend. Oh. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> Nady pays attention. Oh, my gosh. That's so awesome. Well, man, uh, first of all, I want to say, dude, uh, tomorrow is Halloween. Happy Halloween. Happy Nathan. Halloween. Happy Halloween to Hey, Reed, listeners. we've done... Yes, we've done a terrible job. We need to make sure we do this previous to this episode. But guys, we want like what what is the point of a podcast or anything, but especially a podcast about the horror genre and some sort of community dynamic attached to that if we're not like begging you to see your Halloween photos. Oh please. man, please. I really like y'all I spent a stupid amount of money on a Halloween costume this year. <laughs> like, really? It's, it's absurd. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I really need to figure out a way to make it, you know, to, to wear it more than once and have some impact as far as that goes, um, to, to pay it off in some regard. You know, I don't know, show up at children's birthday parties or something. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but I don't know if they really want Pennywise or not. I'm just kidding. That's not what I am. Um, but, uh, you know, I want to see everyone's Halloween photos. We're going to be, um, imploring you to do that. I really like the word imploring, um, previous <laughs> to this episode. I really want to see everyone's costumes, like your family, your decorations, your costumes, your kids' costumes. Like, that's what it's about. Everything. This is why we do what we do. It's just fun. Um, imagination is great. And yes, I'm sorry, Reed, I cut you off, but I just no, really want no, no, to no. stress well, that. You want to see all the Halloween costumes. I want to see all the pumpkin carvings. If you carve your pumpkins, like we want to see, like, so we want to see all of it. Anything that you're doing, uh, Vera, whatever, you know, obnoxious concoction that you're baking or cooking for this year as the that official. Feels like, that feels like the name of a good cookbook, like obnoxious concoction. <laughs> like, I really, I really want somebody to get on that. Obnoxious concoctions. I love <laughs> to it. To the typewriter. Oh, to it's the just, typewriter. It's just like, it's just like really stale food you know, it's just like really <laughs> bad food ah here's another obnoxious concoction for oh you. my gosh that's hysterical. <laughs> anyway um, keep interrupting you no you're fine you're fine but anyway yes uh go to the facebook group go to the facebook page share with us all of the everything let's celebrate halloween together as a as an <laughs> online communicator but no, i mean not all of the everything right? <laughs> please I don't want those pictures, just the <laughs> Halloween costumes. Okay? Wow. Oh, man. They're here indeed. Okay. So, um, so, but what we want to do, uh, we have a really special surprise for you in a little bit. But what we want to do right now is what you have all been waiting for. Uh, you've, you know what, uh, at least five of them are now by this point. Well, four of them. And then, you know, this episode, uh, we want to reveal to you your listener voted top 10 
favorite horror films of the 1980s. This, this is the, the coup de grace. These are the best of the best. These are the ones that you love the most. Uh, we specifically said when we set out for this list that we did not need them to be considered the objective best, but these are your favorites. These are the ones that you really see as your favorite horror films of the 1980s. So, uh, Nathan, are you are Reed. you ready to dive down this, uh, this little rabbit hole, as it were? Um, I mean, I, I've been here for the previous four weeks i'm ready <laughs> i'm ready brother i like i i mean who on earth knew 50 through 41 you know like now we're really at the meat and potatoes of the 1980s yeah um i want i want to know what the other top 10 are <laughs> okay so do you want to start the list or do you want me to start the list? i'll start the list read okay you go right ahead um so number 10 on i love the 80s we covered it Two weeks ago? I don't know. Who can keep up with time these days? <laughs> um, <laughs> um, is that everyone's favorite mommy of the 80s. It is Friday the 13th by Sean, don't forget the S, Cunningham. Okay? <laughs> he, does, he, does, he does share a middle initial with our mascot. That's um, true. Friday the 13th is number 10 on the top 10. Yes, we had what's, an, what's next, Reed? Yeah, we had an extensive conversation about that. Go back and listen to that episode. Moving right along to number 9, Ghostbusters. Who are you going to call, ladies and gentlemen? It is directed by the great Ivan Reitman and starring uh, Bill Murray and Ernie Hudson and Dan Aykroyd and Ivan Reitman himself and Rick Moranis and Sigourney Weaver, and it's a fantastic movie, and it's great, and some would argue that maybe it's not as much a horror as it is a comedy, but we included it because it's about ghosts, and ghosts are automatically horror. So, number nine, your favorite is Ghostbusters. It also featured an incredibly difficult NES tie-in game, video game, <laughs> that was really, really hard. I don't know that I ever finished that one. I don't know that I ever um, played it. That's crazy. Number, it's, it's really difficult. Uh, number eight um, is an American wiener and uh, an oh, American wow. werewolf. And you got it. You got it. You, you got to bring it back. Right? You bring it back. Um, it's an American werewolf in London by John Landis. We had not just a lot of fun with. But a lot of substance surrounding the old American werewolf in London. If you go back about four weeks or so, you will find a rather robust conversation about that old shaggy dog. Agreed. But I can tell you about your little recurring American wiener in London joke that uh, I can assure you this is not the least bit amusing. I've had seven lovers, <laughs> three were one night stands. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, okay, so again, yes, that that is an episode we are both very pleased and proud of and have gotten some good feedback on. Please go check it out if you have not already. Um, moving along, to keep things brisk, uh, is number seven. This is my big surprise. When we did hashtag I love the 90s, the big surprise in the top ten to me was Interview with a Vampire, because I did not expect Interview with a Vampire to make the top 10. This one is this year's big surprise. I did not expect this film to make the top 10, but there is a ton of affection for this film. It got a ton of votes. Um, it legitimately got a ton of votes, but none other than, directed by John Carpenter, it is Christine, based on the Stephen King novel, uh, not at all what I expected, especially given some of the ones that are a little bit further down, but John Carpenter directed Christine is your number seven favorite horror film of the 1980s. Have you ever seen that one? I have not seen that. It one. is, it is 
quite good. I like it quite a bit. What's the loose premise of Christine? Uh, a haunted car. That is the, you know, the, oh, yeah, oh, it's the haunted oh. car. Um, a okay. kind of a nobody, nerdish, nebbish kind of guy uh, comes into possession of this haunted car who is murderous and uh, it transforms him on a personal level. And uh, yeah, it's it's a quite effective 80s horror film. And if you like John Carpenter, it's very sort of John Carpenter-esque in its sensibilities. Uh, but yeah, so it's it's very good. It's not that I'm not, it's not that I was surprised to see it in the list. I was just a little surprised to see it in the top 10, but it legitimately got the votes so here it is number seven john carpenter's christine um number six on our top 10 of hashtag i love the 80s is not the first but the second evil dead film that evil dead 2 by sam raimi yeah i i I really i don't have anything to say about it because i haven't seen it but but (laughs) so that said i am intrigued Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, How it's just it... as gross as that. This is when uh, uh, Ash gets his chainsaw hand. Sure. Like, yeah, sure. this is... Uh, and I think... Here's what's interesting, is I think Evil Dead 2, I like it more than Evil Dead. But, but you know, like... And the votes were kind of close. Like, uh, Evil Dead was originally, like, a little higher in the top ten, and, and finally, when all of the votes were tallied, it landed at number six. But personal preference... List is already locked, but personal preference, I prefer Evil Dead 2 a little bit to the original Evil Dead. Well, you know what? You, the, the voters superseded you on this they one. They sure right? did. They sure did. But uh, moving right along to number five is last week's episode directed by Wes Craven, introducing the iconic character of Fred Krueger to us. It is A Nightmare on Elm Street. It landed at number five of your favorite horror films uh, of the 1980s. Again, we list, We did a whole episode about it last week. Go check that out. Um, little spoiler alert here. We may have an, another episode to come featuring another 80s film, uh, that of Nightmare on Elm Street 3, Dream Warriors. Reed, will you remind us where Dream Warriors ranked? It was number 25. It was number 25, and this was That's number five. Yeah. Really surprising. Yeah. Actually. I talk it up to not as many people having seen part three as have seen part one, mm. which does which does influence votes because when you're t- looking at favorites, you're Because when you're ignorant. Oh, come on. No, but it's just like, <laughs> but it's like, you know, familiarity is something sure. that will help boost Breeds votes contempt. for something. Oh, my gosh. Yes. <laughs> Wow. So, so, but yes, but I, th- and I would, I would say again, like we're sitting with Evil Dead 2, like the list is the list, but I think we collectively mm. regard Dream Warriors as, you know, in our personal lists, it would probably rank higher than the original Nightmare on Elm Street. But that episode is, that's is not our coming. list. That's right. That's it's not our list. list. So, uh, so what was number four then? Uh, number four was that bounty of, milk and grinding an oatmeal it's like a breakfast it's like a breakfast uh, like a breakfast movie <laughs> <laughs> it's the breakfast that, club <laughs> that's, that's what the, the movie is the breakfast club <laughs> the breakfast. directed by sam raimi it's a group of friends they just oh get together God. and have misadventures out in the woods detention you know, just, out in the cabin it's there's great. just there's just you know teenage sex and just like <laughs> Bre- breakfast foods you know it's my, a great 
It's a romp. Oh, it's a real romp. My favorite part is when all the deadites <laughs> got in a chorus line and started singing "Don't You Forget About Me." That was <laughs> that was just the absolute best. I mean, who can? Who can forget about those <laughs> things? Oh my gosh! Wow. But no, in case you missed it, listeners, Nathan pointed out, but it is directed by Sam Raimi. It's The Evil Dead. That was your number four again. We did an episode. Go check out it. Um, okay, so number three. This w- this one surprised me because I really quasi expected it didn't surprise me that it was in the top 10 i thought it was going to make number one. Um, oh wow yeah okay. I, I i wondered exactly we, how things we may play. have we may have dulled down the edges on this one <laughs> <That's a good laughs> for, for our listeners it's <laughs> a good point um but many people consider it to be one of the greatest horror films of all time not just of the 80s landing in at number three on your favorites was stanley kubrick's directed of the stephen king novel the shining so, um, so yeah, again, the what the shining, the oh, shining, t- <laughs> there it is. It's the shining. <laughs> um, so, but no, so we, we, uh, it was our quarterly King number three, go back and listen to that episode. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it is your third favorite film of the 1980s horror film of the 1980s. Um, so, okay. What is number two, Nathan Rouse? Well, it is a series that we covered right before the eighties. It is number two, number two. Oh Yeah. You know what? Uh, I should have been faster on that joke. <laughs> yeah, it's all right. It's all right. It's it's you know. It's just we're just a little punchy. <laughs> um, couple of recordings in. Um, number two on the top ten. Like I'm throwing it away. I don't mean to throw it away. This is the your ranked second best horror movie of the 1980s. That of the titular episode of this particular podcast. It is Poltergeist, directed da, da, da. by by none other than Toby Spielberg, <laughs> St- Stephen Hooper. I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't know. It's lost to the ages. Exactly. We'll Who get did. into all that. Oh, won't we ever? What's number one, Reed? All right. So here it is. The moment you've all been waiting for. If you've been doing the math and watching the countdown, and you've been waiting for this film to show up, it showed up as your number one favorite horror film of the 1980s. Not only did it win the Monster Mash, but John Carpenter's The Thing has won the 80s. Your favorite horror film of the 1980s is John Carpenter's the thing so uh ladies and gentlemen there it was that was our that was our ninth episode of the show you could go back and listen to that if you want to hear some some really you know when the show was in its early stages and we were still sort of getting our sea legs of podcasting um but uh that was your list ladies and gentlemen we are going to publish the entire hundred your your listener voted favorite hundred we're going to publish all of those uh, on Letterboxd, and we'll link to it in the fa- on the Facebook page and in the Facebook group and on Twitter. But uh, yeah, that's your that's rounding out your top ten, ladies and gentlemen. I'm very happy with this list. There's some surprises, but I'm very happy with some of the core conclusion uh, inclusions, and it gave us a lot of fun things to talk about. So, um, so Nathan, read before we dive into this. Um, we have something really special for the audience. Do 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 you mind if I do you mind if I bring it in? I I never mind. Just do do what you're going to do, Reed. <laughs> okay, so I got something really, really special. I'm terribly excited about this. I'm, I'm eager, yeah. as it were. Um, and uh, I'm sure that not only am I eager and you're eager, our listeners are going to be eager, uh, particularly uh, super fan uh, Ned Kanepa is going to be super eager for this one. Um, I like all... Hey, 
Team Ned. We used, we used, yeah, it is Tim Ned. I'm on Team Ned, but let's, well, not, let's not bring up how he's on Team Nathan. Ned's let's on don't. Team Nathan. No, don't. Stop. Like, Shut up. Don't. No, no, no. It's just... No, I mean, man. You know, stop. it's undeniable. So moving on, um, we have had uh, a couple of cameos uh, in the past. My son closes almost every single episode with a, a, a wonderful, delightful little salutation to everyone. Um, and then on our 100th episode, my very wonderful father-in-law sort of introduced his thoughts on the show. But now, mentioned on nearly every episode of the show, ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest. It is none other than my beautiful, wonderful, lovely, and talented wife, Mrs. Jennifer Lackey. <laughs> Hi, no honey. pressure. No pressure. <laughs> well, hello. I don't know if I'm going to be able to put up with you guys for very Welcome, long. I mean, I mean, we can barely put up with each other. That's, We've been that's doing this true. for like a hundred and however many episodes. You're just here. Welcome, Jen. And welcome. I, and oh, thank you, Nathan. You're I was going to so say, welcome. and I've had you, you know, as a guest in my home. So I really know how. Yeah crazy yeah. this can turn out that's when things really get ridiculous like people th- i really, this is I the really don't down. know i don't know that you know the extent of how crazy <laughs> this thing get. it's like but. so there's there's three layers there's like <laughs> podcast read and nathan there's in-person read and nathan in front of people and then there's in-person read and nathan like when people are not around and it's just there's some no-fly zones it's just it's crazy uh yeah well, <laughs> no comment I'm we'll afraid. leave that alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, well. <laughs> speaking of speaking of afraid, so when uh, honey, when we heard that we were going to be covering, uh, now are you talking episode, to me or her? No, I call you sweetheart. I call her. I know. Okay. 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 I just wanted to figure out please where pray. the terms of endearment lie. Please pray for me, everyone. <laughs> so, um, okay. So when you heard that we were covering Poltergeist. Directed by, you know, in air quotes that the listeners can't see, directed by Tober Hooper. When you heard that we were covering Poltergeist, um, you have a history with this film that I want you to just kind of take a couple of minutes and talk about. Because you said like, hey, maybe I'll revisit that film. Maybe I'll rewatch it with you. Maybe I'll even, you know, talk about it. And I was eager. I was like jumping up and down in our bedroom to have you on the show. So t- talk for a minute about... Uh, your history with the with the movie and- <laughs> no 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 talk a little bit more about the jumping up and down part shut up shut yeah up. that must have been while I was tending to our adorable <laughs> non-demanding six-year-old first of all hi dad and um, I'm gonna throw you under the bus a little bit here so somehow my parents let me watch this film when I was very young probably about six years old uh-uh. I did not go and see it in the theater, but we did have it recorded on a nice little Betamax um, (laughs) video. And yeah, I used to watch this movie quite often as a child and I loved it, but was completely terrified of it at the same time. Every time I watched it, I made my parents leave the hall light on when I went (laughs) to bed. And it's funny because as a child, I think the thing that scared me the most was um, the old lady. Oh, Zelda Rubenstein. Person. Yeah, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. She just creeped me out. So I would have nightmares about her, but then I would want to watch the movie again. And I made like all my little neighbor friends watch it at my house. <laughs> yeah. Wow. It was, it was pretty bad. <laughs> well, and Nathan, you saw this at a young age too, didn't you? Didn't you say something like you were that you saw this as a little kid? Well, I mean, I don't, I don't remember precisely, but I do have recollection. Like, 
of all of the 80s horror movies that exist, this one did circulate in our home a good bit. I think my parents did enjoy it a good bit. I do have recollection of some of the more scary elements of the sequel, uh, like the preacher oh. character and the tequila worm. I, I don't oh. remember it. Yeah, I don't remember a ton about it, but I do remember being kind of horrified by that. But yeah, uh, on on VHS in our home, so you know, we, were, <laughs> we were we were really progressive back then. Um, yeah, I may be a little bit older than you, just a, little, just a, little. a smidge. No. Not much. Now, honey, did you ever see any of the, did you see the sequels at all? Or did you only, was it just the first film that you're familiar with? I have seen the second and third one, but I think maybe once or twice. Okay. So definitely don't have the same connection with those two as I do to the first one. Sure. Well, and I, I, only, I only just recently saw the second and third one. Actually, earlier this year, um, just because they had come on like one of the channels and I was like, I've never seen these. I'll check them out. And um, it, it, the third one really dips down a lot it's got some really freaky moments but uh the second one i was i was largely kind of surprised at at how i liked it but nathan you were about to say something i was just about to formally in case i hadn't welcomed jen to the show and this final installment well hmm is it really yeah uh we'll for the moment call it the final installment of i love the 80s you know just that, <laughs> that wonderful decade that gave us my buddy and poltergeist <laughs> which which I also had a my buddy. Sure, sure. And a kid sister, didn't you? And a kid sister. <laughs> so great. Um so uh we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about this film. Uh Jen, this is your first sort of introduction to the show. Uh you've listened to several episodes, but w- we always start with uh just a little bit of of trivial bits as it were. Some of the stuff you may know, some of the stuff you may not, but I want to get your reactions to some of it. So the first one out the gate, this film is rated PG. And I think we can all... Whose dumbass idea was that? (laughs) That's exactly what I said. (laughs) I mean, word for word, actually. And so literally, but like literally, here's what's funny about it. In doing some research about this film is that initially it was not rated PG. Initially, this was rated R. In its version, the MPAA gave it an R rating. And I think because they feared that it would like hurt box office or whatever like spielberg and hooper like tag team up on the mpaa to reduce the rating to a pg from an r well, well pg pg 13 okay didn't exist. Yeah, yeah yeah it was, basically, I, was about to, I was about to say that's a big jump but but yeah, yeah. no but pg 13 didn't exist until following gremlins and temple of doom so and i don't know like when we rewatched the film i i kind of feel like it in some ways qualifies for an R, at a very least a PG-13, but but it would not surprise me for that era to have given it an R. I, I mean, I just, I don't know. I, it, it's not got a ton of vulgarity in it, and it's I not- don't know. I don't know. I think it's, I think it's the, the weed smoking. It's the weed scene. <laughs> there also was that uh, little hand gesture by daughter Dana. Oh, that's right. That's right. Which was the sign language equivalent of the one F word that gets you a PG-13. That is, that's true. Right. I mean, it's not like sign language, but I know what you're saying. Wow. Wow. Okay. Yes. No disrespect to sign language, the ASL people (laughs) out there. Um, So, but no, so, so, but I do think like in the, in the same way that like the conjuring was rated R, even though there's really not a lot of vulgarity in that, but the the MPAA was just like basically like, no, this is a really scary film. I feel like Poltergeist, even now, a lot of its scare factor, I feel like in some ways, 
80s films are going to be, they're going to feel pretty dated. But I feel genuinely, and Jen, I want to speak to, I want you to speak to this a little bit. I feel like Poltergeist is still as effective and as scary as it must have been to audiences of the 80s. Okay, well, when we watched it two nights ago, I think I covered my eyes way more than when I watched it as a child. When I watched it as a child, I watched every single scene. Mm. Like, I, I could have told you, I could have described every scene to you. And when we watched it the other night, I had to cover my eyes. There's sure, so many yeah. things that were just way too freaky and gross. Yeah, and uh, and I mean, speaking of some, speaking of a few of those things. Well, before we actually, before we get into scares, I have one more sort of trivial conversation to throw onto the to the table. Two two more bits of sort of uh, things before we get into stuff. So the first is Nathan. You made a joke up front. This film has a storied sort of legacy slash history of it is credited as a Toby Hooper film. But even shortly after its release, um, there was a lot of speculation because it is a Steven Spielberg production. And Steven Spielberg made some comments in the press junket that uh, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Jen, but he said like, Toby Hooper wasn't really, in his words, a take charge kind of guy, and that he and that he stepped in to uh, to to basically like make some of the decisions. Which is that right? Yeah, that's what I read. And so that made basically made people feel like maybe it was a Steven Spielberg film and not a Toby Hooper film. And he later wrote, wrote like an open letter where he put in and said, you know, people don't really understand our very collaborative relationship that Toby Hooper and I had. Um, a lot of people from the set basically were like, Steven Spielberg was the de facto director. Now, a lot of them would acknowledge that Toby Hooper would be there and would provide input to some of the scenes, specifically some of the storyboards and a lot of the other, you know, sort of production elements of the film, but that when it came down to sort of a core decision making, that it was Steven Spielberg, at, you know, in at the helm. And I don't know, I'm going to get a little roundtable of your of your thoughts on this. My feeling specifically when I was rewatching it for this episode was we've done we've covered the Texas Chainsaw Massacre on the show. Uh, I've seen a handful of Toby Hooper's other films. Do not slurp in my this is this is a different episode. So moving right along from that disgusting sound, um, we you know I've seen other Toby Hooper material, specifically a, a really great '80s film called The Fun House. Um, another you know uh, passable quality, but still has some impressive things in it called Life Force. And Poltergeist does not feel like any other Toby Hooper film. It feels very asynchronous. His films are very dark and very sort of uh, they're they're macabre in an almost pervasive and nihilistic at times sense and this very much feels to me like a steven spielberg film i mean it feels like it's cut from the same cloth that close encounters of the third kind and et and uh, and even to a degree jaws is cut from so just in brief like jen would you agree with that from just some of the steven spielberg films that you've seen well i'm not familiar much with the other guy um so but yes i mean it's honestly it's hard for me to see a lot of 80s movies and not kind of think of steven spielberg because yeah. he was just so big and up and coming well not up and coming but just so like big at that time um but i also just wanted to mention a funny um thing that creepy lady she who <laughs> she who must not be named said about toby hooper 
she said Toby Hooper couldn't even direct traffic. So, I, I mean, that was her take on it. I don't know about the other actors, but... That's that's pretty harsh words. Uh, See, she's mean. She yeah, she is mean, and supposedly a real psychic in real life. I don't I don't know about all that. That's supposedly what got her the role. But I mean, what do you think, Nathan? Like, is this does this feel like it could be a Toby Hooper film, or does it feel more like like Steven Spielberg is the real director? Where do you weigh in on the Spielberg versus Hooper responsible for Poltergeist? Uh, you know, I didn't have a, a horse in that race until I was reading some of the, you know, Wikipedia and, uh, ancillary interview material. And it really just, just reading that material, like I, ultimately it's hard for me to say, cause sort of like Jen mentioned, I don't have a ton of experience with, um, Toby Hooper's catalog other than Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but um, so it's, so it's hard, you know, to compare tones and sort of conventions, but reading the ancillary material, there's a pretty strong suggestion that any, any deference Spielberg makes is purely just to be a courteous guy. Like, mm, yeah, there, there, there does seem to be a sort of general unspoken slash spoken concession that that he was the director and and hooper was kind of just the the figurehead sure um i have one more sort of uh trivial conversation but i'm actually going to save it for scares because it plays it plays right into that let's let's just talk a little bit about as we're prone to do uh about just general likes dislikes um jen again as the guest on the show i'm going to defer to you um what are just a handful of things that you would say that you and we can do a little round table if we want but like something that you would say you really like or something that you really dislike whatever immediately comes to mind for you about the movie um i really dislike how scary it is (laughs) (laughs) um i I like i like that it ends i like that it's over okay a love and hate I have with it is the music because, oh my gosh, like you, I mean, when we watched it the other night at the end, when the credits start rolling and you hear the little, um, Carol Ann theme song oh, gosh, yeah. and the children are singing it. Nope. I was like, turn it off, turn it off. Not happening. But I also think that the, it's brilliant and it speaks yeah. so much to the, the theme of the film. I really like the family dynamic. Um, I felt like it was pretty realistic between like the siblings bickering and, um, you know, there's that big scene at the breakfast table where they're bickering. I thought the performances mm-hmm. were really, were really on spot. Yeah. Uh, that score, by the way, by Jerry Goldsmith, legendary composer Jerry Goldsmith, who also wrote the, uh, the theme to the Star Trek motion picture. Um, I agree. The music is, uh, is, is super iconic. I think the performances are really strong, uh, giving us, uh, an early performance because he was unknown at the time by Mr. Incredible himself, Craig T. Nelson. But I do agree with you. I think all of the performances are really strong. They're all very believable. And I agree that the family dynamic is really easy to buy into. You you automatic. I feel like you automatically buy into these people as a cohesive and authentic uh, family. Nathan, what do you uh, how do you what do you like dislike about this film? Um, I mean, there's, I've got, I've got several bullet points here. I I love from the get go. I just love the dog establishing our setting. Um, (laughs) it just feels like there, hear me. I I sincerely don't have enough, uh, cognizance of Hooper's sort of CV to know, okay, what are earmarks of a Toby Hooper film or whatever. Um, 
but there are such distinctive Spielbergian tropes in this, and that's kind of one of them, this sort of, you know, inventive establishing idea or, or, or mechanism, in this case, the dog roaming the house that, you know, anchors us to something familiar and, and safe like a dog and at the same time functional like establishing okay where are we what is the layout like it does such a utilitarian service to the viewer of just kind of establishing the footprint of this house and it's a really cool um sort of mechanism to start the film on top of that in the in the you know spielberg column here i mean just that iconic shot of carol ann's face with the tv reflection i mean that is just such a pitch perfect signature and i mean it speaks to let's just pretend for the sake of our conversation that spielberg had a larger hand in this than hooper did just just because it's easier than parsing this out over and over throughout the the conversation but it speaks to just why people consider and why you have your jj abrams's of the world now who who so revere the Spielberg aesthetic um, because you have moments like that Carol Ann execution of not just a really strong child performer, but just the imagery of because because it's one thing to show a kid interacting with a TV. It's another thing to just frame it and light it and perform it and direct it and capture it in such a way that it becomes immediately resonant, immediately pop culturally iconic as that imagery. You know, it's just really strong. Yeah, I mean it's 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 pretty affecting. It's creeping me out just thinking about it. <laughs> did you know bouncing back into trivia for a minute, did you know that Drew Barrymore originally auditioned for that role? She auditioned for Carol Ann. I did and, not know that, but and, it makes sense. And Spielberg wanted somebody as he put it i think more angelic right um but what i found interesting was that um so drew barrymore did not get the role of carol ann but her audition for carol ann landed her the role in at that you know that now famous iconic performance in et um so it all it all it all works out in the end yeah it does it does i i i wrote down carol ann being upset over the bird's death so (laughs) Jen, welcome to the show. Occasionally, we'll make sort of uh, uh, diversions down random storytelling. So, my middle child recently, uh, her her fish passed away, and it Aww. was the it was the first kind of event like that in our home. And bless her heart, she was so heartbroken. And watching this movie after that experience reminded me so much of her. And I just had this funny story where she was. I don't know. Maybe my wife was inviting her to say some, you know, what, you know, what, what are you feeling or what are you thinking? Do you have anything you want to say about the passing of this fish? And our eight year old was like through tears. She was like, she was just, she was always there for me. And then, then, and then there was like this ellipsis. And then she said in the morning, <laughs> and it was like, okay, yeah, sure. You just illustrated perfectly a, a fish, a fish's impact on a life, you know. Um, <laughs> but anyway, so Carol Ann being upset over the bird's death made me think a lot about that. Um, 
I mean, I've got several more. What what else do y'all want to throw in the mix? That reminds me of something you saying, like you thinking about your daughter while you were watching it. Um, and I don't know when it's appropriate to talk about this. Yeah, no, go right ahead. Schedule wise on yeah. the podcast, but. Watching it as a parent was a crazy experience for mm, me this time. Sure, sure. It, I mean, like, I was feeling things that I never, like, thought I would feel while watching this film. Sure. And I think that's a big, that's probably a big portion of why it probably affected you more deeply now than when you were a child. I mean, I've definitely, and I think you would attest to the same thing, Nathan. I've, my viewing now, I cannot view a parental dynamic in a film, not just horror films, but in a film, I cannot view a parental dynamic without thinking of it now as a parent and relating to it very differently than when I wasn't one. Things scare me more, uh, make me more upset, make me sadder, make me more joyful, more relatable, more emotional. All of those kind of things just sort of heighten now that now that I am a parent. One more thing that I was going to mention is I absolutely love, and I, I know technically how they execute it. I still don't know why it looks so dang good, but I love the sequence of the house imploding. Like the house imploding at the end looks, to me, just magnificent. Have you ever heard how they, how they executed that? I have not heard how they executed that. So it's basically they built a model of the house, turned it up on its side, and filmed it from above. And it's sitting on a table, and underneath this table was a high-powered vacuum, but it was perched above this, you know, very concise uh, opening that this vacuum was, was, this powerful vacuum was put under it, and it had, like, some strings on it to collapse certain parts of the house. And so, basically, they filmed it above it, and they rolled film. The vacuum very quickly, like, sucks down this, this house moment, and then when they played it, they you know, uh, composited the image over top of the of the scape that they have of the real world and slowed it down to, I think, something like 10 to 15 percent of real time. And that created the overall effect. But it's it's fantastic. I mean, it's staggering, fully practical effect. And it's just absolutely like movie magic staggering. I tell you what, I love the 80s. <laughs> um yeah, I, I, I've got on here, it's already been mentioned once, but this is where it fell on my list. Those parents are totally rolling joints and smoking pot in their bedroom. Uh, I just wrote, is this the Purge 420? I don't know. I don't know. Is this <laughs> the, the prequel prequel to the Purge. Um, so, I, I, you know, call me crazy, but I thought it stood out that the mom's 32 years old and their oldest daughter is 16. That was just an interesting bit of scripting. You know, what's funny is I I read something about that, that um, we are supposed to believe that Dana was from his first marriage, that he was married before. But I don't. But I mean, there's nothing that like indicated no. that. Yeah. Yeah. That- I tell it's it's it stands out the ages, but it is interesting for you to say that because there's no conclusive thing in the film that would lead you to think that. Right. I mean, yeah. she could have had her when she was 16, technically. No, There's... totally. Totally. Yeah. But th- no, yeah. go ahead. I, th- I think it's, if I'm remembering correctly, I think that bit of information came from the novelization. That it, it actually is oh. completely absent from the film, but that the novelization fleshed out that sort of differing dynamic to sort of explain it. But yeah, it's, it is a little, I mentioned something when we watched it. I was like, wait a second, she's 16. And, uh, and then Jen had pointed that out to me as well. Um, can I make a comment that like, 
when the paranormal investigators first show up before she who must not be named is shown up like the when the paranormal investigators show up that is some of the most hysterical like just bits and facial reactions and everything <laughs> like i love things like the woman uh, i can't remember her name but the woman is sitting there and she's like well we haven't yet confirmed if it's a haunting as the coffee pot is like moving across the table right right <laughs> and and so there's just these there's these awesome little subtle reactions of things and i just find that hysterical and i think even when we were watching the movie we were commenting on they were they were saying things like oh yeah we've seen like you know pictures move or you know a strange little phone call and then the dad just opens up the door and you see this everything's like flying around yeah this vortex of just like swirling furniture and like right you know the protractor like making the record play and all this other weird well and kind of before you even get to that can we talk for a minute just you know just just a minute it doesn't it doesn't have to be long but like what in the world this mom has been just like doing parlor tricks in her kitchen with the ghost and she's she's <laughs> all you. like she's all like tickled by it and it's like thank you look, oh my gosh honey didn't look I say mr that in- <laughs> look mr incredible look mr incredible look at all this crazy stuff isn't it so cute look at our house and like yes. what is wrong with you woman i totally said that when we were watching i'm like why is she so excited about this and not freaking out well it's because well, she just it's because she just smoked pot oh, and she's like she's like <laughs> yeah my child i'm exposing my child to the supernatural and isn't life great because i'm high she'll tight. be fine she's got a helmet she gonna be i was gonna say but but safety first they did put a football helmet right right there's nothing weird there's nothing weird about my four-year-old or five-year-old scooting across the floor due to supernatural means ah it's all good let the ghost take her for a ride she's fine she'll be just another day just another day no way i would be okay with any of that no no not at all well and it was funny uh, on that moment like the first time that she is like um the first time that she's noticing some of the paranormal stuff is when that single shot where the chairs are pushed away from the table and then she pushes it back. This could almost land on my scares list. Like she pushes them back closer to the table and then she just in a single shot goes down to the cabinet. Yeah, that's great. Stays there for like a second when she comes up at this elaborate labyrinthine, uh, you know, chair display is up on top of the table. Um, I mean, it's, it's a very, very effective shot. Hey, Reed, I got Reed. I got a question for you. I mean, you know, Jen, you're welcome to indulge this, but it's a, a, a definitive callback to an earlier episode of ours. Reed, what is it about the '80s and people just leaving uncovered wings in their fridge, <laughs> and 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 strangers like just just eating them? They're like, I'm gonna go. I'm I'm new in this house. It's not my house. Uh, I'm gonna go just have a midnight snack. <laughs> And I'm going to open the fridge. What do you know? There's a wing that's not covered up. Like, what was up in the 80s with people not not storing their food properly? I thought Tupperware started in the 80s. I don't know. I really don't know the history of Tupperware. I need to know what other films you guys saw this in. <laughs> Gremlins. 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 Yeah. He opens the fridge. There's a big old stack of wings with no saran wrap, no aluminum foil, not in Tupperware, just sitting on a plate. Just, you know, for the taking. And on top of it, 
in this movie, he not only pulls out an uncovered wing, then he's like, mmm, steak. Okay, yeah, he pulls like, out a raw steak. Like, who does that? Yeah, and he's like, I'm going to eat this steak that somebody else somebody else left here. It's like, what is it? You don't take another man's steak? Well, he, he certainly learned his lesson, didn't oh. he? Oh. That he steak did. didn't want to be it. That's like, right. Was, like honestly, like the other. That thing should be a life. That should be a life lesson. You see someone <laughs> else's steak, you're like, ah, that looks tasty. And you're like, nah, that's all right. I'm good. That ain't my steak. But, okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> so. And this is the moment in the episode where I am just shaking my head at these two boys. <laughs> She's firing us. She's actively firing us. So okay, so here's the here's what I thought you were about to say. This mm. is what was so funny. I was about to interrupt you. I was like, "Don't tell, don't steal my bit." So here's the other thing I was gonna say is you're you're right about like what is up with the '80s and open face chicken wings and just taking people's food. <laughs> I was I was gonna say what is up with trees in the '80s? Like we had freaking Evil Dead. They're doing all kinds of awful things to that poor girl out in the woods. And in this one, they're like kidnapping children. What was up with tree? Was there like a pervasive fear of trees in the '80s that I was not aware of? That I was, you know, that's like it's like making it's, its like, way in. It's like an early iteration of subconscious fear of climate change. You're like, oh my god, <laughs> the trees. They're gonna get us. They're gonna get us. <laughs> but I don't does, know. That does culminate into, and maybe the, maybe this can be a pivot into scares. Um, that does culminate in one of I think the the most genuinely sort of freaky sequences and most emotionally engrossing sequences, and that's Carol Ann's disappearance. Like when she's when she's holding on to the the wicker headboard and she's starting to get like sucked into the <laughs> yeah, it's it's pretty harrowing. And then, but not only that, it's like. She's about to get sucked into the closet, but I was really taken by flipping the sun about to get literally devoured by the tree. Like it, it, it's treating him like a chicken wing. It's just like this is mine. Yeah. I'm gonna take it. It's like mine. I'm just gonna I'm, open the fridge. I'm just you know, like this it's is my like, fridge. I'm gonna just go take this. It belonged to somebody else. Mm, um, steak. Yeah. <laughs> but that's like that was a genuinely sort of harrowing moment. But even then, I had forgotten how it's followed by their rampant search and that's something where like again like we talked about like as a parent you're really engrossed in that moment because that frantic search of where is she is she okay what's happening and then you then the like hearing her in the ether but not being able to like actually like connect with her you know it's yeah it's really freaky well you know i've got i've got twice down written here it says that friggin clown what the hell? Nope. Come on, man. Come nope. on, man. Ain't nobody got time for that. Um, nope, 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 nope. But you, you make a good point, Reed, and I love, I'd forgotten, I think one of the strongest sequences of the film is the parallel just terror of the tree attack and Carol Ann's abduction. It's not just that one of those things happens or they happen one after the other they happen at the same time in the film and my goodness that's rough yeah no i i wholeheartedly agree if we're talking about well let, let me pivot to you honey do you have any other specific scares i know you've already mentioned your major one and that is the entire presence of zelda rubenstein in the film but do you have any stop other stop saying her name sorry sorry she who must not be named so uh but do you have any other specific like scares or or something that you would mention that's like this is really freaky or specifically frightening this time around Yes, the film Poltergeist. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, okay. Oh, so when the um, 
spirits are coming down the stairs and they're all just like staring oh, up like even serious. talking about it right now i'm just like shivering yeah um that i mean as you noticed i had to cover my eyes for that part sure, this sure. this time around another one for another one for me that really stood out to me of course and it's this is if there was a rated r moment the friggin i forget the guy i forget the poor guy's name but the vision that the guy gets like not yeah. only, not only is poor steak is just like coming apart uh, he should have never eaten that chicken wing. That's man. what chicken- you get. <laughs> you gotta ask. <laughs> the chicken wing's bad. But then just like a vision of like, and, and I thought this was a really fitting coda. So man visualizes pulling his face off down to the bone. And then th- his coda is the woman looking at her and said, he will not be back. <laughs> like he is not coming back. Oh, that, yeah. Well, what's, that what's funny. fun? What's funny about that sequence is I didn't remember that part at all. So then it starts oh. going all like John Carpenter, the thing, crazy town in the <laughs> bathroom with him looking in the mirror like, oh, my God, what is happening? <laughs> yeah. Why Why did any adult let their kid watch this movie, Jen? I don't know. Mine did, too. Oh, but. wow. He's going. Uh, Ned's going over to team team Jen and team Reed. No, oh, I was, yep. it was it was Welcome more. It's more just a casual observation, not a, not, a, not a pointed specific one. I love you, Ned. Stay here. Um, I mean, come on, we can't we can't ignore one of the scariest moments in the movie because it's early enough that you're like, what? But it's late enough to be like, huh? It's when you like that. Uh, I did. The, I, I've already I've already referenced it once, but it's Carol Ann. There. Okay. And I'm out. (laughs) She's gone. It was good having you on the show, Jen. (laughs) You're you're welcome back anytime. But no, seriously, that like oh yeah, go ahead. I'm back. Oh. Um I was also gonna say any any time you hear Carol Ann's voice after she's been after she's disappeared oh, is gosh. just I again I had to keep plugging my ears because it just was number one it was creeping me out so that that's a big scare for me but also just terrifying again as a mom right yeah because that that, that helplessness feeling and maybe this is something that'll come up again in themes is but just that helplessness feeling of I can hear her I know something's going on but I am powerless to do anything about it and I will say pivoting out of that another big scare is just that entire sequence where the, there's the whole big light. The mom goes into the goes into the light with a little rope around her. And then even though you could make a comment that the effects look a little bit dated in this particular moment, when uh, the dad is rampantly trying to, like, draw the rope back, but does not draw back his wife, but instead, you know, what emerges is what they deem the beast, as it will, or right, like this big right. monstrous thing. Uh, that was that was legitimately like intensely freaky for me, and I think still holds up terribly. Um, I have because I don't want to. We, we've already gone uh, a little while, and I want to you know be spend a little bit of time on themes. But um, one thing that I wanted to mention, and this is what I was saving the trivial bit that I was saving earlier. So uh, it is it is one of the freakiest moments in the movie. And there is pres- there was rumored to be a kind of uh, th- lots of films and film franchises have this, but there was rumored to be a kind of a curse on the film because some of the production staff and some key actors had died 
um, shortly after its its making. And the and even though you know that that curse exists, but like Craig T. Nelson is still around, Joe Beth Williams is still around, Tom Skerritt, who was in the sequel, like you know many many of the people still survive. Um, but there was rumored to be a curse on the film, and some of them rooted the curse in the fact. Did you know this that in the swimming pool that the the skeletons that emerge are real? What? Did you know that? They are real bodies. They are not That's effed up. That I know, right? It's really jacked up. But that but that they're not fabrications. They're not creations of of makeup and plaster or anything like that. They are, they are real bodies. And they didn't tell Joe Beth Williams about no. that until after she had that's, filmed it. That's yeah. a Toby Ho- that's a Toby Hooper move right there. <laughs> that ain't no Spielberg move right there. No. That's, that's Hooper's contribution. Is this like I, I know where there's some bodies? God rest his soul. I'm sorry. Rest in peace, Toby Hooper. But seriously, like that that whole idea and pivoting out of this supercilious for a second, like. That idea just like really sort of upsets me. Like the fact that somebody thought that was remotely okay. Here's why. It's because not only is that like atrocious as a concept, but the climactic reveal of the movie is right. desecrated these bodies. And yeah. meanwhile, they are you know, who knew and didn't know that this that they were real? I, I have no idea. But they are using actual corpses in the production that's that's awful well there's a real skeleton head on um pirates of the caribbean so what do you have to say about that that ride freaks me out and (laughs) (laughs) but no that's it's true it's like and that's you know it's weird it's like it's one thing i mean to be fair it's one thing i don't see this happening but it's one thing if if a living person was like hey when i die use my body in a movie like it's one thing if somebody was doing that but like I don't know. I don't know what the history behind them acquiring these these legitimate corpses, but it was rumored that the the use of those corpses uh, spawned this like weird curse where where anybody associated with the you know with the Poltergeist franchise would would suffer some terrible fate. Um, anyway, wow. All of that, all of that to say all that. Did uh, did you have any more? Did any, either of you have any more scares? Anything else you wanted to? to make mention of uh just you know just again to reiterate that friggin clown is awful is awful um so uh, let's let's transition a little bit to talk about uh some theme stuff i'll uh nathan i'll i'll defer to you if you have something uh specific that you'd uh that you'd like to scratch at if not i have a i have a subtle little thing that that we could kind of talk about a little bit um, I mean, I've got a couple of notes here of maybe varying degrees of substance. I'm not sure, but we, we talk a lot on the show or have with films that deal with children or childlikeness or childhood or what have you. I'm thinking specifically of something like a sixth sense. Um, I'm trying to recall other specific films we've covered that deal with children or childhood, but about you know, the sort of the sort of dynamic between our role or responsibility as parents or adults versus how it relates to children. And there's just a line that Jen's favorite character says with reference to Carol Ann while she's on the other side. And she says to her, it simply is another child. And to us, it is the beast. Oh, and yeah, that was a strong moment. 
Yeah, and I was yeah. just I was just kind of thinking about this interplay between our adult cognizance of the world around us in the face of our children's ignorance to it and, and mm. ignorant and maybe even not ignorance, even innocence. But, you know, I, I think about this a lot and it kind of plagues me a little bit, like how much I, I sort of shelter my kids from in terms of, or my wife and I shelter our kids from in terms of just, knowledge of the sort of darker aspects of the world we live in and, right. and, and, and wondering, uh, hear me, I'm not saying you just sort of throw them in the deep end of the pool with the real dead bodies, but like wondering <laughs> how much of that is responsible of me and how much of it is my own fear of, I don't know how to explain these things to you. And so because of that, I just shield you from it in a way that's, you know, not, maybe protecting you as much as it's protecting me from having to, I, I don't know. I don't, I know that's a really big door to open. Uh, but just that line just really arrested me like to sure. this, to this child. It's simply another child to us. It is not at all. It is a terrible dark thing. And just, yeah. you know, like, like, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but no, um, it, uh, well, what it harkens back to and, uh, you know, the time this airs and, and the time of this recording, you and I uh, and Jen actually have all seen the recent David Gordon Green directed Halloween. And that's something that, you know, I'll, I'll share broader, more specific thoughts for for when we finally do an episode about that. But, you know, an element of that is this question mark of, you know, are you doing something because there is a real threat of danger? Are you trying to like prepare and protect your children or are you uh, sort of inventing and fabricating up a darkness? And I feel like there's a lot that we do to try to, in the name of protecting our kids, if I'm, if I'm understanding what you're scratching at, it's that we may frequently be making beasts of potentially innocent things or, Maybe we see them for what they really are. They really are beasts, and we're right. trying to yes. illuminate for our children what what that really looks like. Like the 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 simplest through line that I can think of is like stranger danger. You know, sure. our, like our son literally never meets a stranger. Like our son is like we're we're gonna have to work with him. He finds friends on the tram at Disneyland. He finds friends in the line. Uh, like he like anybody that he sees that he's like, you look fun. I'm gonna talk to you. And then he just decides to start talking to them. And a lot of times that makes for a really sweet, cute moment, uh, particularly when he's engaging with another child. But you know, then you try to instill this sense of uh, you can't do that for everybody because right, every, right. Not everybody's, you know, not everybody's no, safe. And, well, I think, I think, I think, I think you are providing a really cogent illustration of what, yes, of, of exactly what I'm trying to articulate there. And that's just that wrestling between childlikeness and sober adult awareness and responsibility. Um, and then us as hopeful, sober, aware, responsible parents yeah. trying to figure out how to encourage our children towards open heartedness while also 
protecting them from the worst aspects of our world. You know, I mean, that, that's right. just a really hard, that's a really hard line to walk. Yeah. And I think, I, I think there is something to be said for trying to preserve innocence while, you know, the, um, what, well, one of the things that it, the whole conversation kind of brings to mind is uh, a passage of scripture that I think I may have used on the show before, but I think there's a way to pivot it into this relevance to this conversation. And that's um, when Jesus was sending out his disciples to go amongst the people and take very little with them. He said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 16, he said, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. And this is the phrase that I really honed in on in this. He said, therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And so it's that phrasing of, you know, be, you know, I've heard it in another translation, crafty as a serpent and as innocent as a dove. And it's one of those things where it's like there's a constant fight of preserving innocence while producing wisdom or fostering wisdom. Sure. And and somehow I don't want our son and I and Jen, I think you would say the same thing. It's like we don't want our son to be jaded or cynical about the world. Right. But in that same sense, don't want him to be naive either. It's like there's this there's this strange balance that you try to strike of alerting them to the the cautions of which they need to be aware and 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 trying to still at the same time, like preserve a sense of of innocence and like what we're talking about, that, you know, that child likeness, as it were. Well, yeah, it's interesting because, you know, I'm just thinking about a time when our son was embarrassed we were at a friend's house and something just really like embarrassed him and he wanted to run outside he tried to like open the front door and so yeah we had to tell him like you can't do that you cannot open the door without an adult with you and so his you know his obvious question why why can't i well because somebody could grab you somebody could take you and it's just you have to like think like should i say this or should i just right you know leave it up because i said so but no i i want him to be aware that it it is dangerous as a young child to walk outside at night by yourself. Yeah. And it's, there's also this notion of bringing it back into the film of like, here's what's crazy about it. There's an element to this film where like Carol Ann is stuck. She's stuck out in the otherness as it were. And I do find it genuinely beautiful that the mom has, it's kind of a funny moment when she who must not be named is like, I'll go. And then the mom's like, you've never done this before. And then she's right. You're right. You go. Right, <laughs> like right, just, right. This real funny pivot. But that notion of like, I think there's the, the other side of it that we have to be willing, should they venture too far down a path to go there with them? I know my inclination as a father uh, and this is I'm, I'm speaking this as a negative. It's something that I'm trying to work through. My inclination as a father is to expect them to be more mature than they are. I expect my right. son to yeah. recognize things he does not recognize yet. And so then when he does things that are not acceptable or he's testing a boundary, I'll have a tendency to come down on him as if he should have already known that that was too far. And I sure. think there's an imperative on us. And and maybe we're talking about it in very parental language. And I think that's appropriate to the film because the film is about, you know, ultimately a lost child and recovering them back. But 
I think it could also apply to friendships and uh, relationships. It could apply to to any number of other scenarios in which sometimes we can call them out and try to say, hey, don't go there. And then other times we have to be willing to go into it with them. We have to be willing to step in there, perhaps with some sort of proverbial rope around our waist and be willing to sort of experience what they experience, uh, you know, in certain contexts. Listeners, I think, will understand the metaphor I'm scratching at and uh, and be willing to sort of bring them out, as it were. Um, and I think that's can sometimes be very scary for us because it's we don't know if we will be safe in that process as well. We don't know if we'll totally be uh, protected. And uh, I don't know. It's 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 something worth uh, it's something worth pondering, something worth considering. Hmm. I mean, I had a, another random theme thought if I can throw it at you. Real yeah, quick. yeah, yeah, yeah. By all means. Um, I think there was something really fascinating to me about the, and actually what I wrote is what we displace for the American dream. Mm. Um, and uh, which is illustrated by just the whole kind of climactic revelation that this developer, this, you know, kind of land developer moved headstones of a cemetery, but not the actual bodies buried there and right right and and this is going to seem like a real random tie-in here but it's all kind of correlated as this theme is meant to suggest um there's a gentleman named mike pallen p-a-l-l-e-n he's an author um but he writes specifically about um I'm applying this phrase here, though I don't I, I don't know if he'd say that's the sum of my work, but this sort of food to table idea. But he specifically talks a lot about food mm. um, and the idea of reconnecting people with the with with conceptualizing where their food comes from. And and I listened to a podcast with him recently and he's a really fascinating guy. And it was really intriguing and challenging sort of material and kind of really forces you to think about kind of your food and where it comes from and you know the hands that touch it and the hands that prepare it and potentially if 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 you eat this way the animals that died in service of your culinary desires so there's all all of the interrelated facets of the process of you eating the thing you eat right and you know you you pivot that into a movie like this that on its face is just kind of this horror ghost story, but you, you, it doesn't require much scratching at all to find something underneath it. I mean, quite literally, but something underneath the storytelling that's about our awareness of our interconnectedness to kind of the land and and mm. where we are and and how our conveniences and privileges impact those who came before us. I don't know. I think it's a really interesting I don't think the movie positions it as mm, I could be wrong there. I was about to I was about to maybe downplay what I think the movie kind of does, but it really it really engages it in a real tactical way or tangible way of just the real, the correlation between the things we enjoy and take for granted and how those things impact 
a a culture or uh, a history and our ignorance of those things. I don't know. It's a really fascinating sort of subtext to the movie. Oh, absolutely. Well, and <clears throat> I know we've already been going for uh, for a while, and uh, I, I don't want to just like wind us back up for this real substantive thing, but I don't want to leave that because I uh, t- two observations. Number one. It was not lost on me this time around that two times in the early in the first act of the film, first like 20 minutes, they end the TV broadcast and the the opening notes that you hear of the film are the national anthem. And it is the concluding portion of the broadcast day for that TV stand for that TV station Uh, back in the day before they had like continuous nonstop, you know, 17,000 channels you could choose from. Stations would end their broadcasting day with an airing of the national anthem, and this film calls out to that twice. And no, I don't think it's, I mean, it is definitely subtextual to the film, but I think it's very intentional that what I'll also say on that is there's a way without winding us up into some big, like, get into details about life, but there's a way in which we, regarding sociopolitical issues, are perfectly content to simply, if you want to say, give lip service, if you want to say, go through the illusion of due diligence or whatever it is, we will move the marker. We will move the, the, the placement. We will, we will say, okay, I've done this thing. So now leave me alone about it. I've given, you know, I've taken this one little step when all we've done using poltergeist language is moved the headstones. We didn't actually mm. do the thing. Right. We just we just moved the headstones. We just presented the illusion of the thing that we are trying to say we are very benevolent, but instead what we have done is just and and there there's anger there. There's there's displaced rage that the because yeah, the people that carry on about their business and move into the house and whatever may not realize what we've done but you know those those for whom that marker was left if i can use biblical language like with abel their blood cries out from the ground like there's you know there, yeah. there are things that uh we cannot suffice it just by moving a headstone and saying can we all just drop it because we moved the headstone so now let's just drop it it's like no there's there's substance here and we cannot like in your language the you know displacement for what we've displaced for the american dream uh yeah we're perfectly content with the illusions we're perfectly content with um just sort of moving forward um and and who suffers uh because of that in this film who suffers carol ann's the one who's drawn in carol ann's the one who is like you know the potential victim of this who suffers are the future generations we may not suffer much because of our displacement we may not suffer much because of moving the headstones but the future generations to come uh they they may feel the ramifications that are not that they can't even explain of our just simple displacement of the marker uh and ignoring of the problem I don't think it's too much of a stretch to infuse that into this film, like, you know, just in in terms of what's there. Only because I'm sure there will be opportunities to go down these paths at future moments. (laughs) I am actively resisting, like, just blowing up, blowing, 
imploding imploding the house right now <laughs> to to follow that that rabbit you just threw out into the I yard know. i know i know maybe no i applaud you i mean that's good it's great actually i, I really love that um yeah. well thank you yeah yeah well i think i think for time's sake and for our listeners ears sake uh and for all of our sakes the lateness of the hour we'll leave it there um but i do want to invite my lovely wife to participate in our wonderful ritual of bringing in mr david s pumpkins i have been waiting for this moment for so long (laughs) (laughs) um okay so listeners we uh measure everything with a metric of uh style scares and substance and produce a number of david s pumpkins for you so Jen, you are uh, guest, uh, first-time guest. Perhaps uh, we'll find opportunities to bring you back at a later time. But um, as a first-time guest, what would you uh, again, style-based? Uh, you know, like how the film is made, your general affection for it or not. What would you give Poltergeist, directed in air quotes by Toby Hooper and Steven Spielberg? Uh, what would you give Poltergeist in the area of style out of five? Out of five, ooh, uh, I'm gonna go with four. All right, four. Wait, that would be four David S. Pumpkins. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, uh, Nathan, what would you give it for style? Um, I I find a lot to enjoy about Poltergeist. It doesn't rank for me as a, a best of, personally, I, though I am going to be generous here, and I'm going to go for a three, eight, 3.5, three and a half. 3.5. Um, for me, uh, I'm going to hedge for a kind of a stupid reason. This would be a solid five for me if I didn't know what I did about those skeletons. That really just sort of bothers me. So I'm actually going to ding it down to a four and a half. I think it does what it does really, really well. Um, but uh, that that sort of meta knowledge really does sort of like ding it down a little bit for me. But still, four and a half for me for, uh, for Styles. So, Nathan, I'm going to go to you for scares. What do you What would you give it in the scares realm? I mean, that friggin' clown, that (laughs) that tree, that static TV. um, I'm gonna go for a strong four on scares. All right, Uh, I'm gonna see your four, and I'm gonna raise you all the way up to five. This is a freaky movie. This is this is something that's got a lot of individual moments, a lot of just jacked up crap um it's it's very effective especially considering that it is now you know nearly no it's more than 30 years old which is crazy to think about so uh so yeah so it's a solid five for me jim what would you give for scares well being that i have decided i will never watch this film again that would be 725 david (laughs) s pumpkins I'm gonna love to punch that in. 725 <laughs> David S. Pumpkins. It's like tabulate oh, yeah. that. <laughs> the metric is gonna be wow. We, it's a first on the show. We're giving it right, uh, right, right. You know, 17 David S. Pumpkins. Okay, so um, and uh, Jen, I'm gonna go back to you for the area of substance. Just things that the film is trying to say, themes that it's trying to explore. Um, if you if you consider it, you know, pretty substantial, think that the film has a lot to say, then you rate it higher. If if not, then rate it lower. Where would you land on it for the substance meter? Um you know, seeing it as an adult as much as it scared me even more, it's also opened my eyes to a lot more. Um just more emotions and how 
you know, the family relationship, the the mother and child relationship. So that actually surprised me. So I will give that four David S. Pumpkins. Nice. Four. Um, I'm going... Again, I am never watching this movie again. <laughs> no, I understand. Um, for substance, I'm actually... I think I'm going to land at a four as well. I think there's some undertones. Many of them, I would say, are possibly accidental but some are quite obviously uh literal and intentional so i'm gonna land on a four for substance as well nathan what about you you know you might notice a steady climb here um so i think that for what is an already really strong engagement of the concept of parental sort of um dynamics with your children and and sort of the the restoration and or cementing that parental to child relationship on top of what we just goodness gracious i feel like an idiot to have not discovered it until you dear friend revealed it and now we have to do a second episode purely on this movie (laughs) um the notion of how our ignorant careless choices uh regarding history affect our children i'm gonna give it a five on substance man i just think there's a lot more there than even i going into this conversation sort of saw and uh i think i think it's i don't think it's incidental i think there's a lot of intentionality to some of that too so jen why don't you uh why don't you do the honors and why don't you tell us how many david s pumpkins we give overall to poltergeist we give this film 8.5 david s Pumpkins. You All hear it, right. You heard it here definitively. This is 8.5 David S. Pumpkins, and it is your second favorite. Your favorite is The Thing, but your second favorite horror film of the 1980s. Y'all are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, uh, Nathan, thank you so very much for staying up so late and for being uh, on the show. Jen, this has been a delight. Thank you so much. I keep calling you Jen instead of honey because I don't know, uh, whatever, but I love you. Thank you for being on the show. We, li- we like to maintain a professional air around here. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I'm going to have to go cleanse my mind now with some holy water and some Bible reading and maybe watch a little I Love Lucy so that so I don't that, have nightmares so that, tonight. Well, once, once you do that, you can officially say... This house is clean. Okay. Nathan, Reed is is officially breaking up with you. I'm sorry. (laughs) That was no fly zone, man. That's no fly zone. Um, No, but seriously, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a delight. And um, yeah, Nathan, thank you as always. Listeners, we hope you have a very, very happy Halloween. Happy Halloween from all of us here at the Fear of God family. And uh, please do share your pictures of Halloween costumes, of pumpkin carving, of baked goods, of anything and everything. Uh, Let's celebrate this together. And we will see you next week, possibly for a little bit more I Love the 80s. Do you want to just go ahead and tell them? Do you want Let's to do it. Yeah, we, we because we love because we love the eighties. Because we love the eighties, we're not ready to give it up just quite yet. Um, this was not part of your top ten, but we wanted to do a special sort of coda to the eighties. So we are entering back into the dream world, and we will next week be covering Nightmare on Elm Street three. Dream Warriors. My lovely wife will definitively not be joining us for that installment. 
That's going to be a hard pass. <laughs> but uh, but you do refresh yourself, and we will see you there next week. Nathan, thank you so much again. Thank you, Reed. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you next week. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. And you can continue the conversation in a variety of ways. You can follow us on Twitter, at The Fear of God. You can like and follow us on Facebook, or join the Facebook Fear of God discussion group. You can follow us on Instagram, at Fear of God Podcast. Go to morethanonelesson.com for show notes, or to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us at fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.